The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Jack. I'm a cop. At least I used to be. Until the accident. Now I just stay in this bar, drinking whiskey, waiting for the chance to walk through the door. Would you like a lozenge, sir? <clears throat> Hi, my name's Cap. My name is Captain Jack. I'm a cop. Uh... At least I used to be. Uh, Captain the- Jack will get you high tonight and take you to a special island. <laughs> Wait, okay, oh, hold My on. My name is Whitney Seibold. The, the podcast um, is going on for a minute and a half and the cat's already on the counter. Luca! I'll introduce myself while you rescue the cat. Luca! No. If this is your first episode, we apologize. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a film critic. I uh, contribute to IGN. I contribute to criticallyacclaimed.net. I'm currently watching a lot that you people have assigned me. Yes. That's one of... Excuse me, that's one of our Patreon uh, perks. That's if right. you uh, subscribe at the $10 level or above, you can give us article assignments yep. to like review stuff. And that's over at patreon.com slash canceled too soon. But uh, we're not there at the moment. We are taking the way back machine. We are going all the way back. To the calendar year of 1998, when there was no long black coats and a really thick frosted pink lipstick. There was no sexier man in America, Mm -hmm. Canada, Europe, really anywhere in the continental earth. (laughs) Continental earth? You mean Pangea? Is that the continental earth? Basically, I'm allowing that Aquaman might have been sexier than Dolph Lundgren. But Dolph Lundgren was an Aquaman, so maybe... Maybe he's uh, just right, everywhere. He was an Aquaman. Isn't that weird. Um, we're reviewing a, a Blackjack. Uh huh. Oh, oh, oh! I, I guess we should play the clip. From John Woo, the high action director of Face Off and Broken Arrow, comes Blackjack. Dolph Lundgren is Jack. Devlin, Jack Devlin. He's one of a kind. They don't make guys like you anymore. And the only bodyguard you'll ever need. When a high-priced model... The spectacular Cinder James. ...is the target of a madman. How can you protect her from me? The stakes are raised. Put her in a fixed position for more than an hour. Might as well write her name on the bullet. And the action is hot. When the odds are bad, he's the best there is. Come on, Jack! Dolph Lundgren. 
Blackjack, the new film from acclaimed director John Woo. Kind of jumped the gun on the introducing the title. Oh, there. it's it's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. reviewing uh, a failed pilot. Repurposed as a TV movie, which happened often. Yep. Uh, this stars Dolph Lundgren as a bodyguard who is afraid of the color white. Well, if- he, he early, and we get to see his origin story over the course of Blackjack. Yeah. But yeah, he's he's a, a, a big, tough dude because the, you can't really get Dolph Lundgren to play small, timid men. Yeah, you can't really um, cast Dolph Lundgren as Grimo Wormtongue. It's just like, <laughs> yes, that's that. I, I, I would be a terrible director because I would only cast actors against type. Like I would cast Dolph Lundgren. It works like for a, Quentin Tarantino. Like a sniveling he, little guy. Yeah, yeah. That's how he made his living. Mm. Um, so yeah, Dolph Lundgren plays a tough badass with a really awkward Green Lantern weakness. And uh, <laughs> over the course of the episode, he takes on a couple of uh, various assignments. And the thing that really makes this show noteworthy, aside mm. from Dolph Lundgren didn't do a lot of TV, the thing that makes it noteworthy is that it was directed by none other than... John Woo. And this was a good time to be John well, Woo. This was in, that time in between Face Off, which was a big hit. Huge hit. And, uh, and it was after Broken Arrow 2, which was mm, also a big hit. But it was before Mission Impossible 2. So, th- But these were like his biggest American movies. Mm-hmm. And um, Mission Impossible 2, by we, the way, we maligned all, movie, made a lot of money. Made a lot of money. Yeah, so he was still a hit maker. Sucks. But it <laughs> yeah. made a lot of money. Uh, yeah, looking at Blackjack makes me call into question all of the affection that me and my peer group poured upon John Woo in the mid to late 90s. Mm-hmm. John because Woo. he... he I, th- I don't know what it was about his style. Like, he really super stylized his action movies. There were people flying through the air and firing a million bullets, and I think he was the one who... Uh, perfected the shot of like a bunch of bullet shells falling to the ground and bouncing off concrete floors in slow motion. Oh, people jumping in the air firing two guns going ah. Yeah. Uh, he he okay, let's let's give a quick primer on John Woo. John Woo is a is a uh, Hong Kong filmmaker mm-hmm. who rose to prominence. He did in other movies, but he rose to prominence for basically codifying a genre that some people affectionately refer to as gun fu mm. where it is a extremely action centric uh to the point where the plot doesn't really so much matter <laughs> uh ballet of shoot 'em up violence and when you watch John Woo's signature films and I'm thinking about his early works the killer uh, and the hard ki- boiled the yeah. killer hard boiled but also uh, a better tomorrow or mm. bullet in the head or uh, once a thief um he uh, uh he has a very particular style of filming action which basically turns what could be in almost any other filmmaker's hands visual chaos into something that is easy to follow, exciting to follow, and really quite beautiful. He looks Mm. at the macho action genre of the 1980s, which in America was really represented by films like Cobra and Commando and like mm-hmm. these really burly sort of like look at me I'm huge the, kind the, of movies and American, he made them pretty the american films were gene kelly you know were they b- beefy and capable whereas the john woo films were fred astaire spindly that, and light on their feet we're calling gene kelly 
beefy? Is that Com- what compare, compare, that's Well, that was his appeal when he came out at the time. He was sort of responding to those sort of very light, uh, as it were, feminine dancers. Mm. And he, he sort of brought in this masculine form of dancing, I which wasn't seen see on that. screen a lot. So and that, that's where my analogy But the other in. thing about John I stand Woo's, by it. The other thing about John Woo's early films in particular was they were very interested in uh, machismo and masculinity as a thematic Underpinning, and a lot of his best movies were about uh, men trying to reconcile their propensity for violence with their desire to do good. The mm. Killer is a great example of this. Uh, John uh, Chion Fat plays uh, an assassin who, in the course of his regular duties, accidentally blinds a lounge singer and decides to start taking uh, various jobs just to pay for her to have reconstructive surgery on her eyes. Um, and over the course of that, him trying to do the right thing makes him run afoul of the wrong people, and then he ends up teaming up with the cop who's trying to take him down, and they form a sort of an uneasy bond. It's a really great movie, but it is exceptionally over the top. And mm. when you remove from John Woo's storytelling vocabulary uh, the sort of grace that an actor like John, that Chai in fact can give him or any sort of semblance of subtlety, which really mm. wasn't a lot of his movies to begin with. <laughs> uh, what you have is a whole well, bunch have, of over the top nonsense. What, what you have is camp is what, is what you have. And, yeah. uh, and John Woo led in, a had lot of, a lot of camp in his movies, just yeah, not his famous it, ones. It didn't read though until you got actors like, you know, Nicholas Cage and Don Travolta playing one another or, yeah. um, you know, Anthony Hopkins swinging for the walls as the bad guy, or who, who's the no, bad Anthony guy? Anthony Hopkins wasn't or the bad he, guy, Mission Possible. He too. was the the, the M was, character, and yeah. the bad guy was Doug Dude. Ray Scott. Yeah, who uh, who turned down Wolverine to play that role? That was no, the no, big no. story at he the time. He didn't turn it down. He didn't turn it. That's, that's, it, was, it was like a scheduled conflict. Yeah, he yeah. was he was supposed to do Mission Impossible two, and he was supposed to follow that up by playing Wolverine in the first live action X Men movie. But Mission Impossible two ran so long that they had to find with like a week or two to go, they had mm. to find a last minute replacement for Doug Ray Scott. I found some Australian. An actor who nobody's heard of. So, <laughs> weird how fate works out. Yeah, I wonder yeah. if Dugray Scott's still pissed. I want to see Dugray Scott and Hugh Jackman like, like in something together. <laughs> I would love to see that conversation. So, Dugray, what have you been up to? Literally nothing. <laughs> I was in Ever After. <laughs> that was actually a good movie. Oh, it was all right. I think it was before that. My point, I think it was like one of his breakout things. Uh, the, these are like the 90th movies possible, though. Oh, like, yes. like all John Woo really came to exemplify what 90s cinema looked like. And mm-hmm. I, I was watching uh, for uh, on our other podcast, uh, the film Drop Zone. And when I hear a lot of people who weren't alive during the 1990s try to describe them, they're describing 1987. With sort of like the big bright neon colors and the the Ray Bans and the big hair, like that's the late '80s guys, mm-hmm. and some of that bled into the early '90s. Yes, because fashions don't change that quickly. Yeah, there's usually Nir- Nirvana, a couple of years. Yeah, Nirvana didn't change things overnight, but if you want to look at what the '90s really looked like, you look at John Woo films and you look at films like Drop Zone, where things were really extreme and slick. That and and. Really clunky, but we didn't care. And shallow as hell. Yeah, really, really shallow and kind of winking, and really didn't care a lot. <laughs> There's there a lot of apathy just sort of leaking throughout the '90s, and uh, this TV movie is oh my golly, so unbelievably '90s. Yes. Uh, not just in its fashion, but in its construct, in its character building, and most notably in its costumes. <laughs> There's a lot of crushed velvet shirts. Oh, God. Uh, one of the bad guys wears a p- 
pearl-colored crushed velvet shirt. Beautiful. Like, not even douchebags wore that in the 90s, and there were a lot of douchebags. It's like, yeah, I want to be a douchebag, but no, that's too much. <laughs> crushed velvet white shirt, and uh, and the female lead wore a couple different crushed velvet gowns. I want a crushed velvet something. Or I wanted a crushed velvet suit. Or, like, before Austin Powers made it kind of hip, yeah. I wanted a crushed velvet suit. Well, who didn't? And then Austin Powers came out in, like, two years Ruined elapsed, it. And, I don't want to dress like Austin Powers now. So uh, John Woo made a huge name for himself as mm-hmm. an action filmmaker. And again, in the late 80s and early 90s in particular, Hong Kong action cinema was really blowing the minds mm-hmm. of every American who could get their hands on it. And, and my, my boss had a lot to do with that, too. Uh, Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino was, yeah. was trying to bring that in and... Well, there was a talk, huge, talk it up a lot. They were a big influence on Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reservoir Dogs borrows a lot from City on Fire, which is another mm-hmm. Chow, uh, Chow and Fat mm-hmm. movie. Um... So John Woo came to America, and like most great Hong Kong directors, when he came to America, the best he could do is a very low-budget Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. So he made mm. Hard Target, which is very entertaining. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not good, but it is very entertaining. It's highly entertaining. Yeah. It's exactly what it's trying mm. to be. I enjoyed that movie a lot. He followed that up with a movie that people didn't expect to be a huge hit because it starred Christian Slater and mm. John Travolta when nobody cared. Yeah. But it was Broken Arrow. Mm. And that was a fun, you know, sort of mid-range action thriller about John Travolta stealing a nuclear weapon and Christian Slater trying to steal it back. It's a pretty good movie. It's not amazing, but it's a fun 90s ride. And then he did Face Off, which had one of the craziest concepts of any action movie (laughs) in the 90s. But it was peak Nicolas Cage and John Travolta now. Mm. They were at the height of their popularity, of their star power, and their acting power so they brought more to that than you ever would have thought possible and that movie just over the top and great and then somewhere around the late 90s john woo was like screw it i'll make this really low budget dolph lundgren tv movie i don't know if it was under contract or what this was also around the time he did lost in space now let's say it's a few years later well, was, was it? That, that was the early 2000s. Oh, I guess you're right. It was a yeah. little later for Lost in Space. And Lost in okay. Space was supposed to be like a prestige project. Right. This feels like... Oh, sure, God. I'll just continue to expand my empire and do TV as well as movies. Exactly. Yeah, trying, trying to be a power player. And yeah, he, he and he got Dolph Lundgren. And he's used to working with action stars like Jean-Claude Van Damme. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I guess... John Travolta at the time was like you squint and he's kind of an action star, sort well, of John, like Bruce Willis. You squint, he's kind John of John Travolta star. and Nicolas Cage were becoming action stars yeah. at around that time, and John Woo was a big part of how John Travolta got that mm. that hype. Dolph Lundgren was actually already on the wane. Uh, if you're not super familiar with Dolph Lundgren, I don't blame you. Um, he was a he was in Kindergarten Cop Two. That's what you would know him from. That's exactly what you would know him from. Now Dolph Lundgren was uh, first off he was a scientist. He has like a degree in was it yeah. physics or chemistry or both uh, it's, or. It's it's, I think it's chemistry. He's yeah. got a, an advanced degree. He's a, a legit like martial arts master. Mm-hmm. He's got an IQ of like 165. So like he's a genius. And he's huge. And the story goes that he only got started in acting because he was dating Grace Jones when she was making <laughs> uh, uh, View to a Kill. And yeah. they needed some random brute. Mm. In like one of the scenes like, in that James Bond movie, and he was just on set, so they threw him. Chris in. Jones, you're dating a brute. Let's get that guy in there. Well, he's not a brute; he's a genius. But but like you know, just need someone yeah. to look huge and threatening. You and, can, and you can get and he's huge and threatening, and, and that led to very prominent roles in films like Rocky Four, which is probably his people know him best from. Mm. He was He Man in the Masters of the Universe movie. He was Red Scorpion, which is. ridiculous. 
ridiculous. <laughs> when he started branching out and starring in his own movies, you began to realize just how no one knew what to do with Dolph. He doesn't well, like they didn't... slide into most situations very easily. He's very physically striking. So I, I like Dolph Lundgren a lot. And you and I got to interview him once. And he's actually uh, a very gregarious guy. He was cool. And, he was cool. And, I like Dolph Lundgren. He's, he's has one of the more fascinating life stories that you could hear about. But he... God bless him. He's just not a good actor. He yeah. he somehow just sort of stumbled his way into into movie stardom without ever studying acting or really kind of honing his craft in any sort of significant way. I mean, he's good in some and, movies. Like he's he's what Ivan Drago needed to yeah. be in his, Rocky Four, but it played into mm, what he was already good at. Yeah, his his best performance comes in Creed Two, where he kind of has it. to he plays the same character, but you know, decades later, and he's kind of fallen and a little bit tragic. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Yeah, you see him in something like I Come in Peace, a.k.a. Dark Angel, <laughs> and you realize he doesn't have a lot of range. No. In fact, he has no range. He plays Dolph Lundgren. What is the... I'm curious right now. Mm. What is what is the best Dolph Lundgren movie? I mean, he's the star. Okay. Not Rocky IV. He's the star. He's, okay. What is the best Dolph Lundgren movie? Well, first of all, I think Rocky IV is, is the pits, but... Um, I know, but a lot of people love it anyway. Oh, golly. I, I'm not exactly sure. Because I have a favorite, uh, and it's uh, actually it's. it's well, I mean, I'm, I'm fond of I Come in Peace, but again, that's kind of a dumb film. It's really fun. I think so, his version of The Punisher is extremely oh, underrated. There you go. I think that is. It's better than it gets credit for. It's, that's it's for got sure. cool action. He's actually pretty good in it. You got mm-hmm. a decent supporting cast with um, Louis Gossett Jr. Louis Gossett Jr. is yeah. in there. I forget who plays the the bad guy from The Fugitive. Uh, is oh, in there right, as well. Right, right. And it's actually got a really good mm. plot that sort of challenges the Punisher, where the Punisher is he's doing his Punisher business, he has destabilized organized crime, and now, you know, other people are moving in and they're killing all the organized criminals, and the Punisher is just like, well, I can call it a day. Yeah. <laughs> I did exactly what I did. And then they start, like, kidnapping the kids of all the ga- mm. crime bosses he killed, and he's just like, yeah, okay, the kids didn't do nothing, and mm. that's kind of on me. So he has to team up with the criminals to <laughs> stop the other criminals. And you know what? That actually challenges the Punisher and, like, his his core beliefs. That's a better plot than the other two Punisher movies we've had. <laughs> I'm not going to call it brilliant, but it's better. Well, well I, the the, uh, the Thomas Jane Punisher is just sort of, you know, rehashed uh, origin story. There's nothing interesting going on. There's there, a couple of good scenes. I like I, some I, of the I like some of the bounty hunters they throw at him. The, the the gigantic Russian that was throwing him through walls that was an entertaining scene. I like the Johnny Cash uh, killer. Oh, there he is. Yeah, yeah. some Harry of Hack. Some of that who was sings, really fun. Who sings? Who writes ballads for everyone mm. he's going to kill? Like, and I and I did like that one of his acts of vengeance in the Thomas Jane Punisher was uh, he he carried around a fake fire hydrant <laughs> and put it next to the bad guy's car so they would get parking tickets. Like, ah, good times. That like okay, why not do petty crap like that? I will say this: mm. I'm not the hugest fan of Punisher Warzone. It's a lot of fun to watch. Oh, <laughs> Ray Stevenson is the best Punisher. Sure, I haven't. He's seen, great, and I haven't seen the new Netflix version. So we've had so many Punishers. I, now. I love John Bernthal. Mm. I didn't like the series. Oh, okay, I thought they just turned it into like this pretty lame, born identity knockoff. Oh, and, like, that's not funny. It was just kind of like, oh, I he's mean, going to take the, he's going to take on the government that wronged him in the war, and I'm like, that's not really the Punisher. Well, I mean, the Punisher is such a boring character anyway. He was a reaction. He came up in the '70s, and he was a reaction to like Paul Kersey and yeah. that sort of wave of 1970s uh, vigilantes. Yeah, he was a movie and, character and, and who they, went into and, comics. So when yeah. you put him back in a movie, he doesn't feel special anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we're off topic. We are off topic. <laughs> we're going to get to Blackjack. Now, Blackjack uh, aired in 1998. Mm-hmm. It um, aired on May 12th, 1998 on the USA Network. I think this might be our first USA show. 
Maybe, maybe I'd have to, I'd have to look it up. I but, have to um, look it up. I think this might be our first. Uh, but yeah, it, it was shot as a pilot, didn't go anywhere, so they aired it as a TV movie. Uh, it feels like several episodes strung together. It feels like two, at least two, because yeah. it, it climaxes a couple times. And uh, the origin story of Jack, the main character played by Dolph Lundgren, uh, Jack Dugan, I think uh, is his Devlin. name, Devlin, Jack Devlin, Jack, Jack Devlin. Uh, he's a, I think he's an ex-U.S. Marshal. Now he's a private bodyguard mm-hmm. uh, who, when protecting his niece one day from a bunch of bad guys, uh, looks directly at like a flash bomb, like a flash grenade they flow in, mm-hmm. throw into the room. It damages his eyes. There's an amusing scene where he's carrying the niece on his shoulders and she's trying to direct him around the room and he's bumping into she stuff. She becomes a seeing eye kid. And yeah. It's like, shoot over to the right. And then she ki- he Blam, kills the guy. Yeah. The <laughs> whole... That whole bit is awesome. So, like, let's so, so okay. Well, hold on. Let's just but, let's back but, up. Well, just to, to give the origin, like the premise of the the show is that he gets that flash bomb. His eyes are damaged, and now he somehow has developed through this injury a phobia of the color white. It's uh it's called leukophobia. Mm-hmm. Has nothing to do with our cat. Uh, it's <laughs> I have leukophobia. I think it's L E U K A, mm-hmm. and um. Mm-hmm. It is described in the film, and I'm glad they addressed this because it's probably a little difficult for people to mm. wrap their heads around. It's not that Dolph thinks the color white is going to kill him or mm. anything negative is going to happen. It basically just makes him panic. Yeah, he yeah, associates like really him. he associates white with like a fight or flight response, and mm. he is like uncontrollably anxious yeah. when he sees. A, a whole lot of the color white. Now so, I don't know. If, I don't know where you are right now, audience. But look around. There's probably the color yeah, white and somewhere. So there's a lot of scenes in hospitals, and there's a, a climax. We'll get to the climactic fight later on. But he's he's seen wearing all black now, and he wears shades. He wears blue tinted shades. Yeah, to, to turn all the white blue, so yeah. it's not so bad. His uh, his psychologist is played by the great Kate Vernon from Battlestar Galactica, the reboot, mm-hmm. and uh, she has she's trying to like explain to him like about his phobia, and they may have some sexual tension as well. He also uses her as a babysitter, which I'm pretty sure is above and beyond the Call of Duty. <laughs> but there she goes. She he talks to her like, yeah, yeah, I have to go out on the job and gotta kill a bunch of guys. And Kate Vernon's just like. I'm warning you, Jack. <laughs> Your shades are all that's protecting you from all the white out there. And I'm just like, that's a loaded sentence. There's a lot to unpack there. Uh, <laughs> almost any other <laughs> almost any other filmmaker would have done something with this context, but no, not John here, here, Woo. Here's what you do. You cast a black actor. <laughs> the idea of uh, having this obvious a weakness, this kryptonite, uh-huh. if you will. And it's it's exactly kryptonite. It, the idea is that Dolph Lundgren isn't just Dolph Lundgren. He's Dolph Lundgren in a John Woo movie. He's basically the Terminator. He's completely unstoppable. Yeah. So when you give him some really obvious weakness, mm-hmm. you can prevent the movie from ending soon. Like, he will right. end it really... Because the thing is, the bad guy he's, in this is just like a creepy stalker out of the bodyguard. Mm. He's He's got, like, guns and he's good with them. But seriously, it shouldn't take Dolph Lundgren that long to take this guy out. But that's the thing. You read an old Green Lantern comic, they threw in the whole color yellow weakness for the Green Lantern because it's a ring that does whatever you imagine it could yeah, possibly they, do. They How made do you him challenge too, that too guy? Too ridiculously powerful. He can like take out any criminal on Earth. Yeah. Eventually it's like, no, he has to go into space and fight space monsters. That makes a little more sense. Yeah, but. and like, but there would be early <laughs> Green Lantern. <laughs> well, nothing makes sense about Green Lantern. But. There would be early Green Lantern comics where like, oh, those guys robbed a bank, but oh, their car is yellow! Oh, okay. I'll just pop the tires. Like, there you go. And it forced them to do something a, a little, little less bit. obvious. <laughs> oh no, they're car- You would think like 
criminals would just dress in yellow exclusively in that world. Nope. Um, so okay. yeah, and even his flight or fight or flight response to the the color white doesn't come into play a lot. It only like, comes, well, I think it only comes into play when otherwise the scene would be over too quick. Well, but even in like casual scenes, like there's a scene where he goes to a hospital, for instance, where everybody's in white and everybody's wearing white coats and. There's a scene like where he's sort of looking around for somebody dressed in white and he can't see them because mm-hmm. everybody's dressed in white and he's kind of freaking out. But you would think there would be a scene like where he's going into the hospital and he's just really on edge. And maybe that's how Dolph Lundgren was trying to play it, but it didn't read. Well, I also think that there are levels of mm. phobia and like you can be uh, afraid of heights. You can be acrophobic and you yeah. can still like be on the third floor of a building. It's only when you go next to a window. That you yeah, might start yeah. really thinking about it. So, like, there are different levels of how phobic he right. is. So, that's not the end of the world for mm. me. That's just the way it is. Um, okay, so... Hel- helping helping him in his journey, and I want to get to Saul Rubinek. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. Wait, wait, hold on. Okay. I, I want to I burn through the opening real fast. So just, right. Let's just take this in order. All right, so, uh, someone is uh, Dolph's brother slash friend so close he calls him brother. Mm. I was a little hazy on it. I think it. it's his actual brother. He, uh, he runs a casino, and in the process of running a casino he's run afoul of some criminals the criminals have started uh threatening his family and he hires Dolph Lundgren to protect his daughter uh he takes the daughter back to her house where the criminals are already there and rather than just send a couple of guys to like because she's eight she's a little kid well she's played by like a 12 year old actress though so she's okay it's her behavior is very strange so she's she's young she's behaving like a six-year-old like here's my teddy and this is really but she's also like a child prodigy Mm -hmm. but she's played by like a 12 year old actress so watching a 12 year old like talk about her teddy bear that way just cements the fact that hollywood screenwriters don't know how to write children that's fair yeah um so he's protecting the kid and yeah someone's in there and he shoots the guy and then it turns out that the criminals send a small army to protect a kid they thought was like unprotected they, they like kidnapped this this child they brought a small army everyone is armed to the teeth they brought grenades mm-hmm. so this opening shootout at this big mansion is phenomenal and it is everything you want from a John Woo action and, sequence. And it's a good thing they uh, they set up the trampoline early on in the scene. Oh my god. So there's a bit where, okay, so Dolph Lundgren's killing a whole bunch of guys. There's a flashbang, Dolph Lundgren goes blind and he starts panicking. The little girl jumps on his back and like the kid in Once Upon a Time in Mexico, she becomes a seeing eye kid. She tells him where to shoot. Somehow that's good enough. And then he, like, throws her out a window, and she bounces on a trampoline and into a pool. And then he does the same thing while, like, flying backwards, shooting through the air, uh, while the without, house explodes. Without the trampoline. He's just sort of flying. And then point. he lands on the trampoline and then lands in the mm. pool again. But I'm like, holy shit, I hope the whole movie is like this. It is not. No. Then it, then it grinds <laughs> to a dead halt. Yeah, it's Cause over. Because you have to introduce all this other crap. And uh, So we cut to a little bit later. Uh-huh. Uh, Jack is in the middle of working with an old pal played by the great Fred Williamson who you mm. probably know from more recently from stuff like From Dusk Till Dawn. He was also in the original Inglorious Bastards, which is a good movie. Mm. It's pulpy, but it's good. I haven't seen the original. It's it's fun. It's had nothing to do with the Tarantino mm. version other than the name. But yeah. it's like it's mm. a it's a good guys stuck behind the lines in World War II thriller movie. Mm. It's it's fun. Um so Fred Williamson is also a bodyguard who used to be a US Marshal. They used to work together. He wants Dolph Lundgren's help protecting a model whose name is implausibly Cinder James, played by Cam Heskin. 
Okay, both Cinder James and Cam Heskin are names that could only have risen to prominence in 1998. Yeah. And, um, and wow, does she look 90s. She has that kind of silvery blonde. Uh-huh. Only uh, like over, her and Megan Ward and... Um, yeah. Anna Nicole Smith had that hair. Yeah, like yeah, those yeah. are the three people. Like that, that, but that was the look, you know. Yeah. And she doesn't wear like the really tight silk chartreuse tube top, which is so hot in 1998. True. And she never wears the hairdo, which is like a hundred tiny little ponytails. No, that but, would have been cool. But she though. does wear that really thick frosted pink lipstick mm-hmm. that it's was like, only in vogue right around that time. It's, it's like uh, uh, Dr Pepper lip gloss plus. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what you. But like uh, strawberry quick colored. We're we're um, we're children of the. We remember this era starkly. A. We're children of the nineties. B. Neither of us wore a lot of lipstick, so we don't know what that's called. Someone is yelling at us right now, telling us what that what that look is. Sorry. To to you, makeup experts, you know, in in the uh, right before Mac came to enormous prominence. Yeah. Um, Okay. So this was about that time. Yeah. Uh, Mm. But the other the other thing that happens is. Off camera, mm-hmm. after he protected that little girl, her parents get killed. Yeah, he has yeah, to take yeah. care of her. I'm like, wait a minute, we're just gonna do all that off camera? <laughs> he just built up so much. There was a huge shootout, and then they all just die off camera. And they now he's gonna take care anyway. of this kid. So the kid shows up at Dolph's Skyrise apartment, and it's a good and it's, thing. It's a good. Uh, he lives in New York, but it's very clearly Canada. Very clearly Canada. It's a good thing that she showed up at Dolph's place. One because he's a badass. Two, because Dolph has the coolest dog's body ever. Is it dog's body? Is that the word I'm looking for? What's I'm looking for? What's a dog's body? Am I looking this up right? Uh, it's <laughs> like, like a, like a, like a you're butler. Make, you're, 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 are you thinking of Dogberry? No. The character from Much Ado About Nothing? No, no, a dog's body. Uh, I'm looking it up on Wikipedia. A junior I, officer, uh, uh, a lackey. I think you're... I think you're making up. I'm using the terms. word wrong. Right. I'm using the word wrong. He's he's basically got his own Alfred, mm-hmm. and he is played by the great Saul Rubinek. Saul Rubinek is so great. I, I have not seen a Saul Rubinek performance that I dislike. Yeah. And I, I first saw him, of course, in Star Trek, of all things. He mm-hmm. was the, that crazy collector who wanted to add data to his collection. <laughs> so he kidnapped data from the Enterprise and just had him, it's like, you're gonna, just going to sit in that chair all day. You're in my collection. Um, but yeah, you know Saul Rubinek from Unforgiven, from mm-hmm. Wall Street. He was on the sci-fi uh, TV series Warehouse 13. Um, he's just a really rock-solid, great character actor. Yeah, true, true romance. He's just been around. And, and in this pilot... He doesn't just play a butler. He plays a vaguely European butler with an eye patch who still has friends with the Bader Meinhof group. <laughs> so he's, he's also a nice he's cook a, and dresses fabulously and takes care of kids. Well, in fact, the kid even says, "Do you cook?" And he says, "I do not cook. I create." <laughs> he's got the greatest outfits. I like to think that he costumed himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's such an interesting character. I want the series. I want. A, I want a series of films. About that character. Well, you and I were watching about this. About the, the butler cook with this sketchy past who, like, solves murders. You and I did something we almost never get to do because of our busy schedules. We watched mm. this one together. Yeah. And yeah. We, while we were watching it and we were watching Saul Rubinek just camp up the place, you made an excellent <laughs> point. He would be a fantastic uh, Hercule Poirot. He would be a great Poirot. I would he love could, to see that movie. Even today, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, he's 70. He might be a little old for okay, a little, role, old, but little like, bit yeah. older Poirot, but that's yeah. okay. So he's still a good actor. He didn't stop being a good actor. Um, so uh, so the movie continues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, indeed, someone is trying to kill Cinder. 
And uh, he, like, breaks into uh, an apartment, kills a bunch of people, and then tries to snipe her from across the street in the middle of a fashion show. Mm. Uh, Dolph Lundgren is brought onto the case. Fred Williamson is shot. And Dolph Lundgren visits him in the hospital where the stalker decides to finish the job for no reason. He's got no reason to finish off Fred Williamson at all. Well, and and I'm wondering... So we have like one stalker, but there's also a bunch of like ancillary mob villains that tend to attack at around the same time that the stalker does. And I wasn't I wasn't really clear what the connection was between the two. I was fascinated by this as well. So when he attacks Fred Williamson, they're mm. in like parking garage, and then the killer like runs up the ramp outside and uh, that's yeah. that's his thing. But as he runs up, there are three guys in motorcycles who drive down and that distracts the cops and prevents them from following him and he gets away. Mm-hmm. Now, when I first saw that scene, I'm like, okay, I guess that was a coincidence. There was oh. a couple of motorcycle guys. But then later on, they're doing a big caravan trying to transport Cinder from one place to another. And the stalker attacks, and those motorcycle guys are back, mm-hmm. and they've strapped dynamite to their motorcycles, and they're power sliding the motorcycles into the cars, and it's really cool, but I don't understand how he recruited them. He doesn't have money. So are, those, are, not, those are his thugs. I don't think that makes sense. All he right. doesn't have money. No. He doesn't have friends. It's not like, you know, like, hey, yeah, I'm stalking this girl and I'm having a lot of trouble. Would you guys mind grabbing some motorcycles, strapping some dynamite to them, and then, like, helping me kill, like, three dozen bodyguards? Just, I really think it will help me get back together with my ex-wife. <laughs> like, I don't picture that happening. I don't know how you get goons. I've always wondered in, in Batman, what? like, how does the Joker just, just go into a bar and just say, I need goons! But just put, you know, send a blast on Facebook, put an ad on like Craigslist or something looking for goons. Hashtag goons. Will, willing, willing to power okay. slide into limos. I actually want to see a show called Hashtag, Hashtag goons. goons. That's about like being a goon in the 21st century. <laughs> and you're just going from like one, one ridiculous supervillain. Super yeah. yeah. That's actually not bad. And you know who the superhero is and you know all this stuff about the superhero, but they don't recognize you at all because they don't care because you're a goon. Yeah, they fought like yeah. I, I fought Batman literally 100 times. Got a couple of good punches in, actually. <laughs> the, the scar, that's from a batarang. Yeah. yeah. I have a couple at home. You want to see them? Yeah. I, I don't believe these are real. I've, Dude, I fought him so many times. I fought Batman more times than Mr. Freeze has fought are, Batman. Are, are you the Joker? No, I worked for the Joker like three times. He didn't even recognize me. Yeah. It, that's a great idea for a show, isn't it? <laughs> The goon. Put that up on that new DC streaming network. Oh, there you go. go. Just do anything. God damn it. That's a really good idea. (laughs) Well, it doesn't have to be Batman. No, it's just like, it's just such a good idea. You can make up supervillains. No one's going to give us any credit for that. Anyway. Well, because we just sort of Uh, balled it live. I'll I'll bet it's been done. There's so many superhero comics out there. I'm sure it's been done. Um, Okay, so... <sighs> With Fred Williamson out of commission, Dolph Lundgren becomes like the main point guy on protecting mm. the supermodel. The supermodel has started like taking prescription medication like they were Skittles. Yeah, so, there's, like, a, there's a scene where she's just sort of reaching over to her nightstand and picking up pills. And yeah, she try uh, she wanders out onto the balcony too depressed, and Dolph Lundgren catches her before she throws herself off. Yeah, but now and she's... then fixes her back. As it turns out. She's had back ailments, which is probably why she was abusing prescription drugs to begin with. It makes sense. Mm. Um, so, yes, yeah, had back ailments. He fixes that in a couple of seconds in a sequence that is so overtly sexualized. They mm. actually, I think they used a couple of shots from that scene in the trailer to make it look as though they were having sex, to make it look yeah. like a sexier movie. Even though she, he's just sort of doing chiropractic work and yeah. her back snaps and she has an orgasm. It's pretty kind of gross, actually. Yeah. 
Um, they develop a close relationship. There is a huge, huge shootout at that caravan with the motorcycles, and they're exploding mm. in midair. And it, it's kind of cool. It's the only other like cool action sequence in the movie, really. Yeah, there's and a, then there's a scene where it was this a, this action sequence or the one later where the motorcycle jumps over something this because is, yeah, that's like, okay yeah there's there's a, a mo- bad guy in a motorcycle you can't see their faces so it's okay to murder them and uh, <laughs> they go off a jump and i don't know what it is with with john woo and motorcycles that charge one another or slide on their sides but they're charging at each other one's going through the air Dolph Lundgren's on another motorcycle on the ground for no discernible reason he starts sliding on his motorcycle sideways, mm-hmm. reaches out his gun, fires upward as the motorcycle's going over him. I guess he hits the fuel tank. Yeah, maybe, that's yeah. what, maybe that's what he was aiming for. And explodes and in the explodes air above and, him. And lands on a car that has already exploded. It's pretty cool. It's way cooler than the motorcycle like climax in Mission Impossible 2, actually. Where, where they, they jump off their motorcycles, firing guns at but each other. But it is not yeah. as cool as the motorcycle action sequence in Hard Boiled. That's still his right. piece de motorcycle resistance. <laughs> um, P.S. de motorcycle. And of course, the rules of science and gravity make no sense. Like, Dolph Lundgren is power sliding that motorcycle. For like, like a mile. Yeah, yeah like, for like a solid mile, and it doesn't even chew up his jeans. Oh. Like, he's fine. And then, like, he, like, guides a couple of the motorcycle guys down, like, a ramp, and he's like, flips his motorcycle backwards so he can, like, motorcycle backwards while shooting at them <laughs> as they blow up. And you know what? It's stupid, but it's cool. But the sequence climaxes mm. when the ramp turns out leads to a milk factory. Yeah, a dairy. <laughs> and there's a couple of there's a bunch of bullets that start flying and milk starts spewing everywhere. Yeah, and, and he starts and, freaking out. And you and this is great. You know, okay, he's afraid of the color white and the he's literally in a milk factory, literally fighting the bad guy in a giant pool of milk. That's really stupid. At least it's thematically appropriate. I, it looks fun. I, I kept imagining, I'm sure it wasn't real milk, mm. but in my head, I'm accepting that it's real milk because the movie wants me to. And I'm just thinking to myself, man, after a couple hours under the hot lights of filming this scene, <laughs> that set would smell so bad. Oh, it'd be gross. It's all chunky in there. And yeah. Just wish there was a scene. It's like a big spurt of milk starts spraying out of a vat and... Oh no, he starts freaking out. So he just runs up to the vat and just starts drinking and drinking out of the milk. <laughs> just starts to drink all the milk. Well, when the bad guy notices that Dolph Lundgren is sort of, mm. you know, incapacitated a little bit, he makes the instant extrapolation. No, he's not concussed. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like, he didn't like drop his glasses. Maybe his sunglasses were prescription or something. Like, no, 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 no. You're obviously afraid of the color white. Yeah, he puts obviously. it together. Obviously. So and, I'm going to use this to my advantage. And, and I'm would, like, who? You would think like that that a, a fight scene where he's where he has to sort of overcome and you know push himself through his phobia or do something where he can kind of get or close his eyes. Close his eyes would have been cool. Yeah, uh, and and just fight the bad guy in this really dire situation and take him out. That that would be the climax. Yeah, he's kill, he's fighting the bad guy in a giant pool of the thing he's scared of. Yeah, this the this, movie is half over. This is the middle point. <laughs> Oh my god, and it's so frustrating. It's like, okay, that's the end, right? And there's like some falling action. You think, okay, they're going to wrap you, something you up. You literally but... said, this is almost over, right? And I'm like, no, we got like 45 oh, minutes left in this thing. Yeah, I was like, so hitting my head against stuff. Dolph, oh. Dolph takes a breather. 
Mm. He starts having like kind of a romance with Cinder, but not really. Kind of a romance with his psychologist, but not really. Mm. Kind of a paternal relationship with that little girl, but not really because she's not important to the plot anymore. <laughs> um, and uh, but the most important thing we find out in the second half is that the bad guy is the model's ex-husband. Obviously, he's obsessed with her. He's also a failed actor, which explains a lot. I'm because wondering. Every if, time we see him, he's monologuing in an empty room, mm. and it's hilarious. I'm wondering if the guy they cast, like, somehow, like, nailed his audition, but his audition was, like, way better work than he had ever done. So when he got to set, he just started sucking immediately. <laughs> so they had to change the script to cover for it. Like, <sighs> that would be were, a great way to cover for ba- a bad performance. It really would. I honestly don't know if this is a bad performance or a good performance of a bad actor. It takes a really, really talented actor to play a bad actor. True. Um, I don't think this guy is that talented. I think he, I think he was directed badly. It's like mm. he's somewhere between like vicious sadist and <laughs> and Batman villain. Like he, they don't, they can't decide how much weight they want him to have. Yeah. So when he's monologuing, that's the Batman stuff. Yes, I, I will destroy everything that ever wronged me. And then, yeah, there's all these, like, really kind of brutal action sequences where people just sort of die, and he's really sadistic and cruel, and it, it just doesn't—his character is not consistent. No, he's, he's really not. He uh, sort of rotates really quickly. He's played by Philip McKenzie, uh, mm. who was in Driven. He was in Hollywoodland. Uh, he, was, he was on Shadowhunters. As oh, okay. brother Enoch, so the, you know, the, good for him. The now uh, lament, late lamented Shadowhunters, yeah, apparently finally being canceled. Finally being canceled. Got a few episodes left. Um, if you don't know the origin of this, we started canceled too soon by reviewing episodes of Shadowhunters, assuming it would only last one season on our old podcast. Um, it got picked up like uh, yeah, kind of surprisingly, yeah. but basically the only reason you're listening to this podcast was because Shadowhunters looked silly. <laughs> <laughs> so kudos to Shadowhunters. Uh-huh. Bless you guys. We owe you a lot. <laughs> we owe you a lot. Um, so anyway, it all boils down to there's going to be a big modeling show and the guy's going to attack her again. And, the, and, the, and there's some some like tension with the management and like they don't really care about her well-being. They know that they'll they'll get paid whether she gets murdered or not. Mm-hmm. And so they're they're just really callous about Dolph it. Dolph is the only one who really cares, yeah, man. And, and they both and, and she both... and she's become so detached that she's like kind of doesn't really care anymore. I don't either, care if I live know? or die. Dolph and Saul Rubinak get kidnapped by the bad guy and the bad guy builds a bunch of like and when he knocks Dolph unconscious, he builds a bunch of straw dummies with blonde wigs tied tied to chairs yeah and he Saul Rubinek is in one of Saul those Saul Rubinek inside one of those dummies and he just starts shooting dummies randomly and Dolph doesn't know if Saul Rubinek is in, is in any of them fortunately uh, Dolph has had his hands tied behind his back and Dolph I forgot to mention this and I can't believe Although I did this was in the opening scene too, he has, so it comes back he has razor sharp playing cards that he uses as weapons well he used to be a bodyguard in a casino so he's actually a really adept gambler well he's a really adept gambler and this is the thing that we learned about his backstory 
Um, his dad was like a really notorious card counter, and he went from casino to casino, mm. ripping them off. Um, and when Dolph was a little kid, he was his partner in crime, and he mm. was responsible for bringing the car around as soon as the management caught on. <laughs> One time, uh, Dolph didn't get there in time, and his dad was killed, and he's been blaming himself for that ever since. Mm. They never specify if this is why he's phobic of white, but the Cadillac they owned was white. <laughs> Maybe, hmm. but probably not. So, um, that's why Dolph is Dolph, man. <laughs> the guy they got to play Dolph Lundgren's dad looks like Sean Astin. Yeah. Like, he doesn't look like anything like Dolph Lundgren at all. Dolph took after his mom. Uh, yeah. I so so we, we, we had to pause it that he had a, a mom that looked a lot like Dolph Lundgren. Cool. Uh, Dolph ends up in a big fight against the bad guy. He comes up with some weird trick using his father's lighter that, like, tints the big white room the bad guy is yeah, set well, up. And I don't understand there, how it works. There's, yeah, there's the assassination attempt. Uh, the, the killer makes his way onto the runway with the model, but then they're, they're rushed off. Mm-hmm. They go off to back to the bad guy's secret lair who knows where it is mm-hmm. and uh but it's near, it's nearby yeah dolph knows where it yeah, is yeah so they yeah. they go there and yeah everything's draped in white the guy's mocking him he's dressed in a white tuxedo everything's white 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 and yeah he flicks his father's lighter stares at the flame and that somehow reddens all the white around him except for the killer he can like still see his white tuxedo through a red drape i'm gonna see if i can find a lighter hang on Let's see if that works i'm gonna why not I, I know if you stare at light long enough, you see that sort of blue halo after a while, but yeah. But yeah, that that's how he gets the bad guy, something that makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. And and wasn't established about his eyes or anything. Yeah, anything. nothing was set up. Yeah. Hold on, I'm going to look at you through All this. Right, look at it. Okay, can you see me? Yeah, you look like you. Do I, do I look like me through? Do I look white? Well, I mean, there's, there's to, like, is there uh, red uh, around me? No, but if I look at you like through the light, you're tinted blue and then like, you mm-hmm. know, orange at the top. So okay. I guess a little bit, but oh, I'm not. Oh, impressed. God, my hair's on fire. Ah! No, I'm kidding. No, I'm not impressed. Um, <laughs> Dolph saves the day. Fred Williamson is fine. The mm. model is fine. The bad guy is dead. The little girl is fine. Fine. Mm. Saul Rubinek is shot by Dolph by accident, by the way, mm. but he's also fine. And presumably, had the show continued, uh, Dolph would have been in a series of bodyguard adventures with a new person to protect in every episode. It's a perfectly decent setup for an action series. That, that, it's. I, I wish they hadn't gone down so many paths to get there. It's really it's, straightforward. It's, it's such a yeah. It's such a, a, a direct, simple premise. Yeah. Bodyguard with eye malady. Yeah. Has to protect people. He has one weakness. Okay. He's cool. like a super bodyguard, except for this one weakness. You're telling and... me that there's a Dolph Lundgren action movie that I can yeah. watch every single week? Mm-hmm. Neat. Uh, get no. a bunch of like t- get a bunch of straight to video competent action directors. Get like Russell Mulcahy there you go. to like just do a bunch of episodes of this thing. And Bob's your uncle. I remember when 24 came out. Mm-hmm. And uh, good show. You know, yeah. it was an interesting, noteworthy, did that whole real-time thing, which wasn't really a thing and still isn't. Um, yeah, de- deliberately uh, a story arc that took place over a whole season, which was still new at the time. But the 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 besides the gag of one hour of the show is one hour of the characters' lives, 
it felt like watching a Jerry Bruckheimer movie every single week. Everything was mm. big and over the top and action packed and and macho and that was cool. That was novel. And you know, you get John Woo to infuse this with you know action, his, his high octane, s- silly pretentiousness and yeah. slow motion photography. That's exciting. Like if you, you know, if this had been forty five oh, you know minutes, I would have really dug this. Yeah. And you know, not a single dove. I had an eye out. There was not a single dove. Couldn't in this. afford him. I guess. What are that's you talking where, about? That's not where the money went. He's he's got a whole dove enclosure on his roof, John Woo. He can just go up and get some. Yeah, but do, he wants to be paid. Oh, his for, doves. <laughs> no, you cannot have my doves. <laughs> well, we only need a five hundred. No, I have five million, and you can't have them. They're all they're they're all here. <laughs> Every dove in the world is on my roof. Um, but uh, yeah, I think if the show had lasted hundred episodes, it easily could have. Mm. Dolph Lundgren protects. I don't know, uh, an author whose latest book has pissed off the mob. Yeah. D- Dolph Lundgren protects someone who was the last surviving victim of a serial killer, but now the serial killer is out and he's got to protect her from the serial killer. Uh, any, any, any number of informants he can protect uh, mm-hmm. and any number of lawyers he can protect. Uh, Actors about, who are being about, stalked again. That's, that'll never get old. A, a, yeah, a really egotistical bodybuilder who thinks he's perfectly capable but needs Dolph Lundgren and they learn to be friends by the end. Uh, know, all, a a all retired politician who the uh, mm. Secret Service should be protecting, but he only trusts Dolph because mm. he worked with Dolph yeah, when he go. was in the U.S. Marshals. And so Dolph is in actual competition with other bodyguards who really do want to do the right mm. thing but aren't as good as Dolph. And then Yancey Butler comes back as his forgotten love interest <gasps> from his old gambling days. Oh, when? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Her last name is Black. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. oh, now we Black found it. Black and Jack. There Yancey Butler and Dolph Lundgren together in an action series. Mm. I would pay to see that. Well, Yancey Butler and anybody in an action series. Yeah, that's true. I love Yancey uh, Butler I've, so damn much. It was so fun seeing her my, in Drop Zone. <laughs> We're going to talk about my, Drop Zone on Critically Acclaimed. My pitch, Sam, for, my pitch for Yancey Butler was a, a cop show called Butler Did It. And it's. Uh, <laughs> uh, and. Uh, where Yancey Butler plays a serial killer who's you know like stalking through the cities and murdering people and doing elaborate things with their corpses, and she also plays the cop on her trail. Oh my god! She plays both roles, and it's not a split personality thing. She just plays both roles. That's amazing. Yeah, I love you, Whitney. You're <laughs> such a wonderful man. I love you so much. Thank How you come so Hollywood's not paying me the big bucks? All right, my ideas are shit. So uh, here's the, here's the thing though with with Blackjack. Uh-huh. You and I both see the potential in Dolph. Uh-huh. In the basic premise. Mm-hmm. The movie that we got out of it, the backdoor pilot, was clearly a mixed bag, was clearly too padded for its own good, but had really good and, bright spots. Well, here, was it actually canceled too soon? Uh, here's the thing. From what I got... Now, I, I understand uh, shows can change dramatically from pilot to first episode. Sure. I uh, imagine... E- you're, even you, from, like, season one to season two, they can do that. I imagine, you know, you, you might get... Like, yeah. Saul Rubinek might not come back for the series, and they might have okay. to replace him with if, someone. If he doesn't, that's bullshit. Okay. <laughs> No, <laughs> no, no series without Saul Rubinak. He's the glue. Um, we, we okay. We can't get Saul selling- Rubinak, but we get um, uh, what's his name? Uh, we get Q. Oh, John Delancey. If John Delancey okay. comes in, I'm okay. All right. Okay. Even even an underrated actor like like Bronson Pinchot, like he gets a bum rap. I think he would have played that part fine. There you go. Maybe a little silly for some people. I think he would have been fine, but. Clearly, by getting John Woo and selling John Woo and and 
filming this with like motorcycle chases and all the John Woo action stuff, they're selling the show on the action. They're not selling the show on the premise. The premise mm. is old hat by the by the late nineties. The premise is just an excuse yeah, this, to do it's, the show. It's the premise from the nineteen seventies that they're recycling and just putting a bunch of action in. That's what they did in the nineties. They took old premises and either juiced them up or kind of broke them down with mm. some like wild card element. Right. The wild card element this time is the action, is the over-the-top, balls-to-the-wall, blistering, motorcycles-out-of-nowhere kind of action. It's like the, that sword fight scene in The Simpsons where they're sword fighting with motorcycles. or like whole, <laughs> whole, whole motorcycles above their heads. Right. Um, and that's, that's the thing that makes the film bad, weirdly enough. Like, they're exciting in a vacuum, and John Woo is shooting them the way he shoots them. But it's, that's part of the padding, isn't it? It's the not, action? No, that's the point. Exactly. So if you're going to move this in, that's the point of this movie. Yeah. And if you're going to move that into a series, that's a boring series. I don't want to see no premise and a bunch of action and well, that's it. No, of course I don't want that. Mm. But I want, when there's action, I want it to be crazy mm. John Woo-ish action. I want the action to be a little ridiculous. That's the fun. Okay. Is that it's a, it basically, it's a canon movie every week. Mm. I want that. Okay. I want that tone. Okay. It can be toned down a little bit. Obviously, we're not going to have the money to do three huge action sequences every week. But I want one action sequence every week where something crazy happens. Okay. That's all. Trampolines, sliding backwards, milk factory. Okay. Well, Any one of those things would have right, been right. enough for one episode of Blackjack. If, if the, the makers of the show were creative enough to come up with something kind of fun every episode, yeah. like a, a creative death or a creative escape. Just one thing. In, in a MacGyverish sort of way. That yeah. would have been fine. But... Not the way it was in this movie. Mm. I don't want the John Woo flavor on my schlock. I want it to be a little bit more straightforward than that. Okay. I don't want the grace. Is my point. I want it to be kind of clumsy. Okay. So are Cl- you? Say- or rather, clumsier than this. Then answer the question: mm. Was it canceled too soon? Uh, no. This was. This was good. This is all we need. This is yeah. I'm. I, I'm yeah, a good premise, but not this way. I would like to have seen a season of this. All right. I would have picked this up. I was like, can we keep the budget down? Mm-hmm. And can we get Saul Rubinek back? And if we can't get Saul Rubinek back, can we get John Delancey? And if we can't get John okay. Delancey, can we get Bronson Let's Pinchot? See, you get you get Saul Rubinek. You get all of the supporting cast. You even get Yancey Butler. Let's let's fulfill yes, every wish. You need her. But you don't have Dolph Lundgren anymore. Let's say he drops out. Okay. You get some other bruiser. Is That's that fine. is that's a better show, I think. Well, it depends. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't, um, I'm trying to think of what other bruisers would have been available. Like, mm. I wouldn't want to see Steven Seagal on this. No. I wouldn't want to see, like, Howie Long in this. <laughs> there was that brief period where he was trying to be a huge mm. action star. Um, you know who's, you know, oh, hmm. you know who's big right now? It's 1998. Huh. Okay. We can get one of those wrestler guys. <laughs> what if we got? What guys. if we got? What if we got uh-huh. to play this blackjack dude? What if we got mm-hmm. this young up and coming wrestler? He's very hot right now. Mm-hmm. Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> he's only done like one uh-huh. episode of Star Trek. He's not a big star, but he's charismatic. Fans like him. We can get that wrestling audience. Mm-hmm. Bada bing, we have a show. I was going to recommend Yafet Kato, but he was way too old. At he the, would have been too old. E- at even the time. twenty years ago, he was too old. He would have been too old at yeah. the time. You know, he's almost eighty. Wow. Um, mm. Oh, you know who else was like doing like cool action movies at the time was mm. um, Mario Van Peebles. Oh, he would have been. Well, he'd been know. kind of cool. He'd been okay, I guess. He'd seen it. Yeah, he'd been cool. Or um, remember, remember that remember that brief moment when Keenan Ivory Waynes was trying to become an action star oh, with that one movie, A Load on Dirty Shame. No, 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 no. That was the comedy. He did like a, a totally dead serious action movie in the late nineties. Yeah, it was called A Load on Dirty Shame. No, 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 no. That's not the one I'm thinking of. 
That's that's not the one you're thinking of. No, because that wasn't. Hold on. Yeah, hold it, was, on. it was this really violent cop movie. Hold on. There's a, then I guess he did two. Then right. I'm just not thinking about Most Wanted, 1997. Oh yeah. He did right right after Lowdown, Dirty Shame. Okay. He's a marine on death row, and he's recruited for top secret shit. And he becomes like mm. a patsy for an assassination attempt. He wrote the script. Like he was oh, really wow. serious. He was really trying. He okay. was really trying to be a major action star. So this after that kind of tanked, this mm. you know, a TV series might have been pretty good for him, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think well, I think his action movies didn't do so well because he was already seen as a comedian. Yes. Yeah. He's too much of a comedic premise. But so I think cast, on, on TV, he would TV be, yeah. he'd be a get. He'd, he'd be like, oh, it's pretty Pretty cool, actually. I think he never wins as an as an action star on a TV show, and yeah, then if that yeah. show is a hit, then we can break him out into movies. Mm. Because yeah, it was just basically audiences couldn't take him too seriously. Mm. It was difficult to take um, when they did that uh, reboot of Alex Cross with oh, Tyler yeah, yeah. Perry. Tyler Perry isn't bad in that movie. That movie is not his fault, but it's just kind of hard to accept him because at that point we'd only seen him as Medea. As yeah. Medea, that was his. That's that was the typecasting, and, and it's in, not really and fair. In, but and in the Ninja Turtles movie, okay, he was good in the Ninja. He was Turtles good in the Ninja movie. Turtles. Yeah, it's Baxter Stockman. Well, I'm fine with that. And okay. he was good in Gone Girl too. I like Tyler Perry as an actor. He's fine, but like it was a hard sell yeah, to mainstream yeah. audiences when Alex Cross came out. Mm. So again, do it on TV first, lower stakes. You know, mm. people more willing to give it a shot. You don't have to drive to a movie theater, pay for parking, pay forty dollars to get two people to see it. <laughs> give it a shot, okay? I can see this. I could see that working. All right. You know what? You've changed my mind. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I think. I think. Uh, I think. With enough retooling, yeah, we well, can re- do it. Yeah, it needs a little retooling. Obviously, mm. you can't do just this, but it doesn't take a lot of work. All right, I think it'd be a fun, at least a one seasoner. So, mm. um, okay, I'm glad I'm glad you're with me on this, and I'm glad we did blackjack. <laughs> I'm excited. Next week on Cancelled Too Soon, we promised you last month we would do it, and we are going to the live action RoboCop television series that nobody talks about. Uh, not the animated one. No, no, no. Which, oh, also lasted, which also only lasted one season, so we can do that at some point, too. But no, 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 no. <laughs> the live-action RoboCop series that I think most people don't even know existed. I remember it when it was airing. I remember it being yeah. more, like, weirdly comedic. I mean, like, you couldn't do it as violent as the first movie. No, no, no. Because no, nothing's they're... as violent as the first movie. At memory serves, they were going more for RoboCop 2. Yeah. You know? Which was also, like, super violent. It was super violent, but it was more funny. Yeah. Like, it was going for more laughs. Mm. I, I think RoboCop 2 is a little underrated, actually. I think uh, it's fun. Uh, absolutely. It's yeah. underrated. That, that, that is a crazy movie. That's a crazy movie. It's, for, it's from wacky, the, but its sense of humor is incredibly mm. cynical, so I think it fits. Yeah. And that final fight between RoboCop and RoboCop 2... The one that lasts 30 minutes. That fight is <laughs> it's amazing. At the time that came out, that was like the best superhero fight yeah. in a movie. He pulls the, pulls the guy's brain out. It's, it's really terrific. It's really cool. So I'm and, glad you're with me from, on that. From the director of The Empire Strikes Back. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Irvin Kirshner. You rock. Uh, so that'll be up next week on Cancel Too Soon. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you listen to our other podcasts, Critically Acclaimed, be sure to listen this week because we're going to be announcing some changes that we're making to the format of that show. And we're going to be encouraging everybody, if you don't already, follow us on the Twitter account for Critically Acclaimed, mm-hmm. which is at Critic Acclaimed, as well as the Facebook page for both shows. So just look up Critically Acclaimed. Cancel too, too soon. Yeah. Um, we're going to have on that podcast more opportunities for our listeners to be involved in helping decide the content. So 
Check that out if you haven't already. We hope to see you there. If you can afford to help us out on Patreon, Lord knows we appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patreon.com slash cancel too soon. You get bonus content. We love you forever. Um, it really helps us keep going and helps keep this show alive because times are hard and that sucks. <laughs> and we know times are hard. And if you mm-hmm. can't afford, that's totally fine. If mm-hmm. you could leave us a review on iTunes, that would help us out a lot. If you could tweet about the show or just tell a friend, that would help enormously thank you everybody for listening thank you Dolph Lundgren for being you <laughs> and uh, that's a wrap folks we'll see you next season <laughs>